Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 5.9 in the fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Blue Jays announcing today that, as expected, Alec Manoa will be the opening day starter next Thursday in St. Louis against the Cardinals. Kevin Gossman will start game two, which is not on Friday. It's on Saturday. Uh, let's talk to Ricky Romero, two-time Blue Jays opening day starter, diehard Lakers fan. How's it going, Ricky? What's up, guys? How you guys doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. Better than your Lakers, I suppose. I mean, they're back in the 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 play the the play in game right now. Like, how you feeling? Uh, LeBron is apparently going to return at some point before the end of the regular season. How do you feel Man. about the Lakers' chances? Man, I haven't spoken to you guys in a while, and you guys are already throwing shots right away. Oh, I got Forty Nine er shots ready too. If you if you don't like the uh, Lakers' uh, shots, I'm more worried about uh, making my son's. Uh, lineup for tomorrow since i'm the head coach than than anything else right now and and you guys are over here uh <laughs> bringing up the lakers jeez let well, me breathe a little bit <laughs> how are so how are you guys uh handling load management with your son's little league team <laughs> hey we're handling it well we, we, we we're two and oh to start off the season um i, I got i got the boys ready there it's seven seven eight year olds it's, it's pretty fun honestly it's it's been a blast uh doing it we got our first three games rained out I know oh. I shouldn't be crying about that because I know, I know, I know you guys have some weather out there, but uh, yeah, no, it's been fun, man. It, it's, it's cool. Like it, it, I didn't, I didn't realize how much fun I was going to have actually coaching and it's been so fulfilling and so rewarding so far just to see the, the progress that the kids have made. It's pretty awesome. That's awesome. And, and I did want to ask you about that, that seriously. And you kind of just answered it there, but um, you know, I, I remember talking to you at one point and you weren't sure if, if that was something you were going to going to do. Are, do you like have the bug now? Like, are you like a little league dad coach, like for good now? Is this, uh, is this going to be a next, a next chapter for you? I know you've been doing progressively more MLB network radio and radio with us over the years, but maybe, uh, maybe this is a path for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, it, it, like I said, it, it's all volunteer, obviously, right? And um, and I think after seeing it last year, because last year I didn't coach, so I was just kind of on the outside looking in. And you know, sometimes you just don't like things are being ran or how they're how they're being taught. And with my experience, I feel like you know what, I'm doing a disservice to to the kids when I can go ahead and and grab a team. So I grabbed the team. I grabbed all his friends and. And we're on a team together now. And it, it, like I said, it, it's all just fun and, and learning the fundamentals of the game, not mm. getting too cute. And I think that's the biggest key at that age, just learning how to field the ground ball, how to throw to, to, to the right base and, and stuff like that. And we have a lot of fun with it. And, um, <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm coaching my seven-year-old and, and my four-year-old. So it's, it's busy times right now. I couldn't wait to this, to these moments. I know, I know parents are always like, Oh, well, you know, you don't want your kids to grow up, but I think I wanted them to get to this age because yeah. I wanted to see what it was all about. And now it's like every Friday, Saturday, we're at the park and it's, it's, it's cool, man. It's, it, it's to see them and, and to see them play the sport that I grew up playing and loving. I, it, it's, it's, it's really cool. Uh, here's, here's a, I, I, t- I was going to call it a hot take. I don't know if this is hot, but, um, Baby's not that fun. Like, it's really not that great to have a baby. What you want is <laughs> right? like, yeah, yeah. Seven is the sweet spot because I have a seven-year-old as well. No, it's uh, it's great. They're like little people and you can <laughs> do stuff with them. You can play catch. Uh, and babies, they just sit there. I mean, maybe they look cute, but you got to change their diapers they, and stuff. All they, they want scream. is mom. Yeah. All they want is mom. Yeah. No, no. You, <laughs> I'm with you 100%. Um, all right. Uh, so... We want to ask you about this opening day thing because um, it was expected that Alec Manoa would, would get the nod despite the fact that Kevin Gossman 
had almost as good a, a season, maybe a, a better season than him a, a season ago. But it, it does feel like this is grooming what the Blue Jays hope is the next ace of this staff. Man, that was the situation you were in just a couple of years removed from from Doc's seventh straight and, and final opening day start. Sean Markham got the, the opening day nod in the, the season after that. But then you got two consecutive and, and your first one, you had your 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 best season. And and you were, I think, a top 10 guy in, in American League Cy Young award voting. How... How did it feel? Like, take me through the emotions of being told you were the opening day starter the first time. Oh man, the emotions are super high. Honestly, it, it I think you don't realize how big of a deal it is till you actually get told you're the opening day starter. You're the one that gets to get the the season going. The 162 game grind starts with you. And I remember when uh, when I got told by by the manager at the time, John Farrell, and he was like, "Yeah, man, we're we're gonna roll with you." And and just the emotions of it when you get to Toronto, knowing that you're going to be the guy that 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 goes out there. And I mean, you guys know very well what opening day means to the city of Toronto and the big party that that goes on with it. And I think when I got to the state, it didn't really hit me till I got to the stadium, I put on my uniform, and when I went out to warm up, and the crowd was. I mean, it was three quarters of the way full already. And I was like, my goodness. And everyone started chanting Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. <laughs> and that's when like, I, I, I felt like I was floating in the outfield. <laughs> like I, I didn't feel my feet. Like it was just so weird. I was like, wow, this is insane. And it was cool. I mean, the, the fact that we, we got off to a hot start, they put the, the, the fellas pull up, put up some runs. I think Carl Pavano was the, was the opposing pitcher, if I'm not mistaken against the Minnesota twins. And we, we we got to him early, and it kind of gave me a chance to kind of relax a little bit and, and go out there and do my thing, and we ended up getting the win. And then, obviously, then the, the following year, you kind of expected with the season that I had that 2012 was going to be the opening day starter. And then I believe it was in Cleveland, and we had that 18-inning game, I, I think. Right. And it was it was the craziest game ever. Um, but you know what? It, it honestly is it's such a huge honor. And I had a chance to text with, with Alec this morning and, and just to congratulate him and the first thing he said was like, man, I'm, I'm very excited about this. And I said, enjoy every minute of that day because it's, it really is special. You just don't know. It's just like anything else, right? You don't know if you're going to have another one. You don't know what's going to happen. And, 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 and hopefully I, I saw the video with him and, and John Schneider and, and Pete where they're like, let's make this a habit, you know? And, and, and you really do hope that they make it a habit and you see Manoa for the next, you know, 10 years starting opening day for the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, I think it's, it's a very special day for, for MLB. It's a very special day for the Toronto Blue Jays. They're a contending team. There's so much hype around it. And and what better guy to send up there than, than Alec Noll? So that's the reaction to, to finding out and what your anticipation is like day of. And we can get into more of that for sure. Uh, I'm curious, though, Ricky, you and, you know, what that did for you internally, what that did for how you went about your business and went about things like being a clubhouse leader as young as 26. Like, how much does the opening day start signal to you about what you mean to that team and what you need to do for the rest of the team beyond just, hey, taking the ball for the first game of the season? Yeah, well, after watching in 2009, after watching Doc Halliday, um, start that that opening day and and how it was and 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 the big party that goes along with it and and but how professional he kept it and just how the the leader that he was with the staff so obviously when it came my turn um 2010 sean mark was the guy in 2011 obviously it was me and you kind of feel like you are the leader of the staff but you also feel like um like i had brandon morrow behind me right i mean i had and then it was like uh, some younger guys i think i had it was brandon morrow brett Cecil. 
and then a couple younger guys. And, and you, you feel like you, it's, your, it's your duty to make sure you're setting the right example. You know, and if, if somebody's struggling for you to go out there, put your arm around them and say, hey, this is going to be okay. Maybe we can figure something out. Let's go watch some video, whatever it is. You know, I, I feel like you, you can be that type of guy. You can be a good teammate like that when you're not pitching. And um, I felt like I always did that, you know, and, and if, if somebody needed some help and whatever it is that it was, I was there for them. Um, everyone had my number and it was like, let's, let, let's do this. If somebody's struggling or whatever it is, you know, or let's get together for dinner um, and, and let's go out to dinner. Let's, let's build some camaraderie and stuff like that. All that stuff that, that comes along with it. But, um, <clears throat> and I have no doubt. I mean, it, from, from the looks of it, it looks like Alec is that type of leader. Um, he's that type of guy that, that, you know, wants the spotlight on him and, and he's ready for it and, and he embraces it. And, and, you have a veteran guy in, in Kevin Gosman right behind him who can be the, you know, one B ace. Um, and, um, and I, I feel like this rotation right now has it all. I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously the, the, the Barrios and the Kikuchi um, spots are obviously make people nervous, but I mean, so far what we've seen from Kikuchi has been pretty cool. So, I mean, mm. you know, you, you kind of got to, wait it out and, and see how the season goes and if he's able to keep it up. Um, because if we, if he was having a bad spring, then we'd be all here saying like, man, you see, he doesn't belong yeah. on the team. But the fact that he's put himself in this situation now, it's like, you know what? Let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. This guy deserves it. He's earned it. And let, let's hope he goes out there and, and becomes the best fifth guy in the, in the big leagues. Yeah. Striking out everybody um, this spring. So <laughs> yeah, no, which is impressive. Um, so we mentioned, yeah, you were a couple of years uh, removed from the Roy Halladay opening day, seven straight uh, seasons phenomenon. And it, it was great to, to hear you uh, reaching out to Alec Manoa, as I'm sure many uh, franchise greats have. Like when you made that first opening day start as a, as a 25-year-old, did, did, did you have co- uh, communication with Halladay? Like you obviously, you knew him, you shared a clubhouse with him. Was there, was there a, a flood of texts that, that blew up your phone at the time? Shoot, man, I, I'm sh- I'm sure there was, but I, you know what? Honestly, it's one of those things where I feel like the phone, it was it wasn't a big deal as much as it was today, right? As it is today, like I felt like yeah, yeah, your rotary phone wasn't to... ringing off the hook or anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that ancient, but yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it almost I, I feel like it was mostly like like family and and close friends, and um, I you kind of have a a little bit of a sense, you know, during spring training when you start counting days and you, the way they start lining you up, it, yeah. it's no secret, right? I mean, I'm sure everyone can figure it out and you're like, okay, this, this is going to be, it looks like this guy is going to be the opening day starter. And um, so it's, it, I just felt like, I, I feel like the, the, the biggest messages came from my family and my mom and dad. And, and it was just like special again. I mean, it's, it's one day, it's one thing to, to make your debut and share it with your family. And it's another thing to, to uh, have op- be the opening day starter for a major league baseball team, and the fact that I got to do it twice was beyond beyond amazing. No, that's great, and um, I, I, I want to go back to, to what you, we were talking about there with Yusei Kikuchi and, and referencing all the the strikeouts that he's accumulated this season, only giving or at uh, this spring training and only giving up two earned runs. I wonder for you as a pitcher, because you know we look at hitting stats, I think especially, and and wonder. Or, or or know that really we can't extrapolate those. It's really not all that indicative of what a player is going to do during the regular season. What were you looking to do in spring training as a pitcher? Like how much of that is applicable to the upcoming 162 game regular season? Yeah, well, well I remember one one season I came in 
And I'm going to throw out a name to you guys that's old school, and you guys wouldn't even believe who th- who taught me my cutter was Brian Tallett. Because wow. he had a really, really good cutter. And I remember as a, as a young kid, as a young pup still in 2010, I, he was one of our starters, or he was a spot starter, come in, be a bullpen guy, whatever. And I remember him throwing a cutters, cutters, cutters. And, our, and, and so in 2011, I, I came in with that intention. He, he showed it to me in 2010, and I kind of still didn't trust it. So I made it a point in 2011, you know what? I'm going to work on this cutter, and regardless of the results, I'm not worried as long as I get my work in. But at the same time, you as a competitor, you don't want to give up runs. You don't want to go out there and, and, and not make it through the, through the amount of pitches that, that you have for that day. So it was like if I got a runner on, then I'd have to bear down and be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to my main pitches. But if, if I'm oh if I'm ahead of the count, I'm going to work on this cutter. I want to work on this cutter. And, and that's kind of the mentality that you take. And, and even in, in 2012, when I came in in spring training, and that was, I mean, that spring, if, if I remember correctly, I didn't give up a run um, during, during, the, during the spring games. And, and obviously we know how that turned out. Um, but, but, yeah, it's one of those things where I think when you come in with the, with the purpose, where you come in with an emphasis of wanting to work on something, you go ahead and do it regardless of the results because the coaches know you, if you communicate with, with the pitching coach, with the manager about what you're trying to do, then they understand it and they can help you and then they can see for that stuff when you're out there pitching in games you can only do so much in the bullpen but when you're out there in the games that's when you want to work on the actual stuff along with the competitive juices flowing so the fact that um kikuchi has come out and said you know what this is what i want to do this is how i'm going to do it is great for him because obviously it's worked out and and now you just hope like that he carries this into the season because there's going to come a time where maybe he does get hit around how is he going to bounce back from that and I think that was one of the biggest problems last year. It was like once the snowball of him, he couldn't stop that snowball, and it just kept going and going and going and going. What I want to see is, okay, when, when, when he hits that wall, how is he going to get back up and say, okay, you know what, I know what I did. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get back on the horse and, 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 and give this team the, the chance to win every fifth day. Well, that's Ricky, that's something you and I talked about uh, a lot last year on J-Stock Plus, not just with uh, Kikuchi, but with Jose Brios as well. And Brios is a guy mm-hmm. who, um, you know, with the exception of, that start during the World Baseball Classic has, again, looked solid enough in spring. Um, you and I talked a lot last year about, you know, what that process is like for someone like Barrios who was struggling where it was hard game to game to pinpoint exactly what was wrong, right? Like he was moving his positioning on the mound. Some days it was the fastball. Some days it was the curveball. How much do you think an off season to kind of reset and regroup can help someone who... Like Barrios, there wasn't really anything that we could find, you know, physically with the pitches that was wrong. It was a lot of tinkering and mental side of stuff. How how big can an offseason be for someone who's in that position? Yeah, I, I mean, it's huge. And the fact that he was able to go back and, and, and maybe, re, like you said, reset, hit the reset button. I think that's 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 big sometimes. And I think Jose Barrios, from, right, right from the beginning, right, we remember opening day and and. and and it almost seemed like he never really got on a roll from there. Like we, we did see uh, uh, flashes of it from time to time where he roll out four, four good ones. And then all of a sudden it'd be like three bad ones. But I think for, for Jose, it was more just like, like you said, the mental side and, and maybe this off season, like really helped him kind of get the pressure off of him. I'm sure he was trying to live up to that contract and he was trying to go out there and be like, you know what? I'm the face of this franchise or I'm one of the faces of this franchise. And, and I want to prove that I'm worth the money they gave me. I want to prove this. I want to prove that. Where sometimes I think that becomes the bigger picture. And 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 if you're not satisfying yourself, if you're not if you're unhappy with yourself, then it's it's tough to make those around you happy. So I feel like for Jose, 
it was this offseason probably he went back, kind of hit that reset button and said, okay, what is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to work on? I need to stick to that. I can't be tinkered. It's okay to tinker during the season. It's okay to make little small adjustments, but when you're moving from one side to the next side, it tells me that you're just thinking a lot and every, there's a lot of stuff going on in that mind. For him, it's just, hey, I need to trust my stuff. I need to go out there and have the game plan and stick to my game plan because when we've seen him at his best, Jose is, is, is unhittable. I mean, he's one of the best, best pitchers in the big leagues. And like I said, when you look at this rotation from one to five, it, they, they got quality arms. And it's just a matter of them putting it together. And for Jose, I, I feel like, I mean, a big year awaits for him. And, and, and I feel like we as fans are, are, are waiting for that because he did get paid like an elite guy. And, and I feel like he is an elite guy. Now he's just got to go out there and show it. I uh, can't wait to, to see this team get underway for real. On Thursday in St. Louis. Uh, Ricky, thanks so much for this. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Go Lakers. (laughs) (laughs) Big game tonight against the Thunder. Who knew tonight was such a big game? Huge. It's like, yeah, the, the, the eventual champion could emerge from tonight's game. I mean... Maybe in the Lakers' case, but yeah. I was going to say, uh, the champion <laughs> of what? The play-in tournament? Sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe at the cha- uh, the uh, play-in tournament. Um, so I really enjoyed that conversation with Ricky Romero. Again, like, so to our point earlier on in the program that, yeah, okay, in the grand scheme of things, at the end of the season, we won't be thinking back to the opening day starter, but it means something, like, on a human level to these guys. And any idea, like, anybody trying to downplay that is is incorrect like it meant something to ricky romero certainly when it's your first time like it it mm-hmm. was w- with alec manoa um i want to talk about mike petrello's rankings when it comes to his power rankings for the upcoming season here's what i have to say about his power rankings before we get into even get into it uh jeff Passan better just wow. just saying it he picked the jays to make the world series and lose to the braves uh very 1990s of him but yeah mike petriello uh enemy of the program now enemy of the state all all that stuff so he's got the the tiers broken up thusly. Tier one is World Series or bust. So anything short of a World Series for these teams is a failure. Uh, Astros, Braves, Mets, Padres, Phillies, Yankees. Phillies aren't, man, with all the injuries that they've suffered, I, I guess, yeah. Reese Hoskins, though, out for the season, it turns out, with yeah. the knee injury, and he's going to need surgery. And we know Bryce Harper's not going to be back until, what, middle of the season. Andrew Painter, I don't know, he's was... Going to maybe make this rotation out of uh, camp, but not anymore because he's hurt. All right, so I, I'm not going to quibble with any of those. I mean, the Mets have a $7 zillion payrolls, as do the Padres and even the Phillies, you know, with the incredible postseason they had a season ago. And the Yankees are the Yankees, and the Astros are the defending champions and all that. That's fine. But putting the Blue Jays into the next category, which is uh, get a little deeper this time around, Blue Jays, Cardinals, Mariners. So obviously make the playoffs, which the Blue Jays did, and that was the incremental step that they needed to take a season ago. They made the playoffs, didn't win a postseason game. How do you feel about the Blue Jays once again making the postseason, but as a wildcard team, Blake, and winning one of those those wildcard tournaments, even as a home team, and then losing in the next round? Is that a successful season for a team that is now paying into the luxury tax for the first time in its franchise history? I mean, I don't even really care about the the luxury tax element of it. I just think you can take the incremental gains only so far. Um, yes, I understand that if you incrementally gained forever, you would eventually win the World Series, right? You could start out at zero wins, and now 100, I don't know, 70-odd years later, you'd win the World Series. Um, I think that 
this team has probably grown past taking, you know, look, you can have a good playoff run. If you get bounced in the ALCS in a good series or something like that, like lots of stuff can happen in baseball where you can not win the World Series and feel pretty damn good about the year that you had. But I think that win a playoff game or get out of the wild card is too low a bar coming off of a year where, you know, we did the, in 2020, you did the, you know, kind of taste of the bogus playoffs. Yeah. Cool. Very good. Like the perfect timing with where the Jays were with a lot of cool young players getting their feet wet, getting a taste. You add Ryu as kind of the first signal that you're here. 2021, just missing by a game. You can convince me that the stretch run, the the all those games in the final few weeks really helped these guys learn and grow and things like that. The The trailer and now you see the movie. But last year was a disappointing finish. The goal was not just get to the playoffs and say you got to the playoffs for the first time since since 2016. Like that that was not the goal and while we can all understand that things happen and that two game series kind of had some breaks go against them and things like that, like that wasn't a successful season relative to expectations. It was a successful season relative to like 20 other teams in the league, but that's not where the bar was and that's not where the bar is this year. So, I would say you you can go about this a more difficult way and go through the wild card and that, but my more immediate goal for this Blue Jays team would be to win the division, take the wild card nonsense out of it. And then if you're good enough to win that division, that tells me you're feeling pretty good about where you are as a playoff team. Things will happen in the DS and the CS, but if you win that division, you take the wild card nonsense out of it. uh, You know, you're going to be around in October for a little bit. I think that's where the bar should be for this group entering the year. Well, so what I was going to say was that, um, yeah, the playoffs are a crapshoot. We know that, and and it's it's the way we evaluate who the best team in baseball was. It's probably not the most accurate way, but it's the way we exist in in our baseball universe. I would say that I think the goal for this team to should be by the end of the season be a team that is at the top tier of the latest power rankings. A team that is in a spot where it's World Series or bust. Right, the people look at. The, the number of games that the Blue Jays have won, be it 100, be it 97, and, and, and winning the division and say, yeah, getting into the playoffs, even winning a wild card round, not acceptable for this group because they have succeeded and maybe exceeded expectations during the regular season. What happens in the playoffs? I mean, you can convince me that, yeah, again, it's a bit of a crapshoot. But if you win 100 games and... Yeah, you get to skip the the wild card round, and you maybe bow out in the divisional round. I can I can I can better understand that than another, you know, kind of tepid regular season getting through a wild card round and then doing the same thing in the divisional round. No, the regular season should be a pretty dominant one, honestly. When you look at the depth of the rotation, I know all five of these guys are not going to spend all year in the rotation, but right now you pencil it out. And the guy that started opening day last year is your four starter. It's very handsomely paid four starter. Hmm. Um, no, I think it's it's a pretty good look for this group. Yeah, I think so. And this is, you know, it's similar to the way I'll talk about when, you know, Raptors fans are, or anything like that talk about officiating. And it's like, well, you can't control that. You can't control wild card nonsense. Really, Like you can control a little bit of it but you can't control that baseball is random in a two-game sample. What you can control is making sure it doesn't come to that. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that is by winning your division so that, you know, at the end of the season, you're not worrying about, well, how do we maximize a rotation for just two games when we've been maximizing it for, for, for four games this whole way? Um, you take as many potential obstacles out of your way as you possibly can. And the best way to do that is to be very, very good and win the division 
and not have to worry about those things. So I, I think, and, and honestly, like this is, you know, year, let's say year three and a half of, of this group, because we'll, we'll only count 2020 as a, as a partial or whatever. Um, they should be there. Mm-hmm. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Alec Manoa, those guys are young in age terms and career terms. They're all very good already. Mm-hmm. There's no more like waiting on those guys to become who they're going to be. They're all very good. They're all, well, not Manoa, but like Vlad is making eight figures. Bo is getting closer to free agency. This team has spent a lot around them. Like the the innocent climb's over. You're you're there and you're at a plateau now and the climb is a lot tougher from here. It's a lot steeper. The air is thinner. You're mm. dealing with the Aaron judges of the world and the Tampa Bay Rays. And, you know, they've got a whole bunch of Sherpas there turning turning mm. guys from uh, minor league also runs into 20 homer guys and 100 inning guys. But, yeah, that's where the bar should be for this team. They should be thinking division title because not that necessarily uh, division title is a huge, it is a huge accomplishment, but you're not going to hang, um, you know, you're not going to sell division champion merch like you did in the 90s in the current system. But I think the bigger thing that a division title signals is that, yeah, you you start the playoffs off in a better spot. You were better than a bunch of the other teams you're going to be playing against. You're not doing this nickel and dime series with the Mariners or the Guardians or whoever it is. Um, if you are there and you're ready, show you're there and show you're ready. Yeah. So take that. No, I, I like the, the, the Sherpa analogy. Tenzig Norgay is the, the Sherpa I know. Most famous Sherpa. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not well versed in, in your in, Sherpatude. Yeah. Sherpa. Sherpatude. Sure. Uh, so yeah, no, Bo's good. Vlad's good. They're getting paid now. The expectations should and are high, uh, should be and are higher for, for those two guys as they've shown it various degrees during the major leagues what i'm going to do now is make you choose between the two because espn also released its player rankings and not surprisingly one was shohei otani and number two was mike trout didn't have to go that far though to find vlad he was 16 he had to go quite a bit further to find bo bichette at 49 now ceiling wise as far as what we've seen during a regular season like it's hard to argue with what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did in 2021 in a very bizarre season, but he did it, right? And Bo had the opportunity to do the same thing. He played in the same ballparks and didn't didn't put up the insane numbers that Vlad did in that season. But that season, still counting, in 504 games, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has put up a 9.1 Fangraphs war. Bo Bichette, in fewer games, 393 in his career, put up an 11.8 Fangraphs war. Just like in counting statistics. Now, obviously, position they play is a huge factor here and Bo playing a premium position and at times playing it at an average defensive rate, not last year, but you go back two years ago and he was pretty average there. Like, I that that is worth more than even an elite defender at first base. And I think this is a big season in deciding who's better between the two. But, like, I, I do think Bo gets a little bit short trip because of the incredible 2021 that Vlad put up. It's also a, you know, you kind of laid it out there. It's a ceiling versus floor question as well, right? Have, like, have we, maybe we haven't seen Bo's ceiling. Maybe we haven't. And we've seen Bo's floor, and it's significant. Like, he 
was struggling for four of the six months last year and ended up with like a pretty remarkable line. But, the, still. but the, that was part of like in part of the write up why Bo was forty nine. That was used as evidence to to him being that low. To which I would say, who cares? Like it's it's about the season. We don't talk about mm-hmm. like you had a couple of bad series and all, oh, but you know he didn't. He didn't hit. He wasn't an OPS of one thousand every single month. Like that doesn't happen. No, and it didn't happen for Vlad. Right. So I, th- that's honestly my biggest take between these two. Like, I if I'm forced to choose one, I'm choosing Vlad. I, I think you know, fifty homer power is fifty homer power, whether it's in Dunedin or not. And I think that you know, if everything, if we're playing the scenario where absolutely everything clicks, like Vlad's a monster. However, I find some incongruence in the rankings. I know it's a bunch of people contributing. It's not one person sitting down there with a checklist of criteria. But the fact that Bo plays a better position or a more important and more valuable position and only plays it competently versus a position that everyone can play and Vlad plays it at an above average rate like that, that comes out as a plus for Vlad. Mm. And then that they both had down years last year. And Bo ended up exactly where he'd been the couple years prior. And Vlad ended up way down, but still really solid. And that came out in the wash for Vlad. Like, there's an incongruence there in how they're treating the way Vlad and Bo's 2021s compared to their 2022s. That's more my confusion with, with what's going on there. I just, honestly, this seems a little blasphemous to say. I think 16 is a little high for Vlad. I think 49 is a little low for Bo. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Hey. I think the ordering of the two of them is fine, but that's like... They should be closer. Yeah, like maybe Vlad should be in the low 20s and Bo should be in like the mid to low 30s. Like when Ben Clemens of Fangraphs did his trade value column, which the, tries to do this, tries to take a top 100, but also takes into account how many years of control do you have left what's your salary um you know projecting young guys forward there's there's a much higher premium placed on not just this season but who would you want moving forward vlad and Bo and manoa were all really close yeah they were all i think in the top 25 um because they're all you know young and still not fully paid and stuff like that um that to me looked like a more like a ranking i can get behind and maybe this is just i'm too like contract and cost control and long-term roster planning <laughs> brain. No, I'm with you. Yeah, because, yeah, the list I'm talking about is just like the best player, yes. right? Like, like right this moment, yep. if you played a game right now, who would go, like schoolyard draft styles, mm-hmm. you have 30 captains out there, who's getting picked where? And I guess it makes sense that through that, Bo would be like a mid to late second round pick. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, if you're drafting a team for this year, mm. I guess you would have to take Vlad ahead of Bo, but I'm telling you, like their their offensive floors are pretty similar. I would say they have pretty similar offensive floors. One guy plays a much more difficult position defensively, and and obviously one guy we've seen one guy's ceiling be higher, but there might be more there with Bo. So I, I don't think I agree completely. I think they have very similar floors. That's what I said. You said offensive floors. I think Vlad's offensive floor is higher, but the fact that Bo plays a premium position means they're like overall that like, like Vlad was worth 2.8 wins last year by Fangraphs war. And I know Fangraphs war isn't everything, but we're using it as a proxy here. And Bo was worth 4.5 because of the value of shortstop and how few shortstops hit at that level versus how many first basemen. Like it's hard to imagine Bo ever being like, only a two and a half win player, but it's also like Bo's final batting line last year in a year where he turned it on a lot late was still worse than Vlad's line for the season. 
Uh, it, I mean, yeah, marginally, but still, I think like, like, do you think Vlad will have a, another offensive season in his prime years at, at, with as poor numbers as he had last year? I, I don't rule it out. Really? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Honestly, I still am not sure what to make of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Outside of one in one season where that was the guy I was promised, where he, well, he you, took a million walks and had this institutional knowledge of the strike zone. Do like you a, want the most he'll take? What? It was only like half a season. He had like a, right. uh, he Buddy, was like look at, an MVP for the first half of that season. Look at the Rogers the, Center numbers. And the second half of that season, he was basically like a yeah. slightly better version of last year's. Like, yes. would it shock me if, if Vlad settles in as like a 145 WRC plus guy where, you know, that's kind of for, if you don't know WRC plus, it kind of takes a bunch of different factors into account to put everyone on a scale of 100. But basically that would be Vlad's, you know, what we're expecting from Vlad is like the midway point of 2021 and 2022. I think, I, I think that would be a little disappointing coming off of the 2021 he had, but like for this team this year, if you get a Vlad that's halfway between 2021 and 2022, you're, you're laughing with how much better the rest of this group is around him. Yes. But I honestly, that would be a very acceptable season from mm-hmm. Vladimir Guerrero jr. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure that you're going to get that. They were, I mean, they had very similar on base percentages and, yeah. and, and Vlad's, I mean, Vlad's was more boosted by the walks that he took. Uh, Bo took, he came up with more hits because he's led the American league in, in mm-hmm. hits two consecutive years, which are by the way, more valuable than walks. Like I love walks. Yeah. Slightly like, like we do the OBP thing, but a guy can't go first to third or second to home on a walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ball in well, play. Well, also a double is a hit and a walk is a not. Yeah, but we, we've got slugging percentage to, <laughs> and OPS right. to account for those things. Um, speaking of, the Jays going, uh, you know, going double crazy here. Brandon mm-hmm. Belt getting a double and then Dalton Varsho knocking him in. Just just how we drew it up yeah. um, with them four and six in the order. So here's the other thing is that when we, we look at Bo and Vlad and this is, you know, the spring stats, I, I don't think we... Even though spring feels incredibly long and we have stats and things like that, I don't think you can capture some of what we're going to see with the rule changes and how different shifts and different ballpark factors affect these two. They're both guys who, based on the new Rogers Center dimensions, should, on our like back-of-envelope simulations or projections or whatever... The new dimensions suit both of those guys. Mm -hmm. The anti-shift rules, even though neither of those guys get shifted like crazy, they were two of the top five in the league at roping outs into that kind of no man's rover land above second base. Mm. They were both right near the top. Those are a couple other singles. Dude, that drop this in. is what I said. Like, this is a kind of a big year in deciding between the two. And maybe but there's, it's, it's not because you don't actually have to decide between the two. If, I do. If there's eventually like, I mean, there's a financial decision That's, where if, yeah. if your answer is both, that's a very expensive both. And you're going to have yeah. to, you're going to have to hope. Gabriel Martinez and Arelvis Martinez and every other Martinez in the system (laughs) hits and is an inexpensive piece of like, like if you're going to pay Vlad and Bo, like the Matt Chapman spends, the Kevin Kiermaier spends, the Brandon Belt spends, those are guys that then have to be internal development options probably, unless you win a World Series and you're just printing money hand over fist. Well, this is it. There's a real decision to be made between the two and it's, it doesn't have to happen at the conclusion of this year, but it like is part of the, the evidence gathering. But I got, I, Listen, I don't mean to diminish what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did in 2021, but I guarantee you it's also a conversation they're having in the front office. Like, what is this guy? Like, can mm-hmm. he rekindle that? It's it's every evaluation about the Blue Jays and what they can do during the regular season or during this tenure is 
is this guy an MVP candidate or is he just like an above average player, which is nice, but it's not 2021. And now we're dropping a new ballpark in the mix. So now you're going to be looking at 2021 to 2023 and you're like, oh, there's Dunedin and two different (laughs) Rogers centers in there. (laughs) Yeah. I think, yeah, the Dunedin stuff, though, is whew, like go back and look at, at some of the, the, the numbers. I mean, watch spring training. Yeah, <laughs> these I, I know that Dalton Varsho triple that he just hit was uh, like a joke triple because it was basically a, a three base error at first base. But whatever. like some of the boat like Bo and Varsho both homered the other day. Oh. And those those balls were like 100 feet past the the, the wall. Like it's it's not a, it's not a difficult place to hit. Yeah. With another double, by the way. Yeah. No. Base hits all over the place. Yeah. No, Dunedin played like it made Coors Field look like a peanut in, in 2021. Uh, Dunedin did. And to a lesser extent, so did Buffalo. But it, it, listen, everybody, all comers had an opportunity to hit there, including Boba Shed. But just saying. And look, opposing players didn't put up the numbers that home players put up in Dunedin. And I, there's nothing like outlierish about the way that park is set up. It's just hit because it's easy. It's an easy place to hit. It's not like someone's coming in and being like, oh my goodness, I've never seen a short porch where the ball flies off mm-hmm. the bat before. Mm-hmm. It's not a, like a funky thing where like Fenway, you might have to learn how to pepper balls off yeah. the, the monster. Like we think Yoshida is going to do. Um, this is, it's a, it's also like, it's fascinating to have these conversations. And then like two weeks from now, we are going to see how baseball is played in the new Rogers center for the first time. Yeah. No idea. I still find it really fascinating that they didn't even simulate the new dimensions and walls in Dunedin, just even for their own purposes, if not mine, but also for mine, please. Yeah, I guess it would have been too expensive. But no, I think it'll play like different, but not too different. And that's everything we've heard from uh, from the team in that regard. All right. Raptors back in action tonight. Do uh, they have to be? The a banged up Raptors team against a banged up Pistons team which means uh, Dwayne Casey return to Scotiabank Arena, perhaps for the final time. And we'll talk about that uh, and more next. As the fan drive time continues, Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Blue Jays, Phillies on Sportsnet right now is the uh, Jays leading 2 nothing, top of the third inning. Alec Manoa dealing as expected. Um, later tonight through uh, 7 o'clock, you got Raptors basketball on Sportsnet 1. Raptors in Detroit Pistons. And I know what you're thinking is the Raptors always lose to Dwayne Casey's bunch. No, they've won all three meetings this season. They have. And, and this is the thing is, this is year five. And yes, there was a Casey curse because the Pistons swept them in three of the first four years, but it's been a sweep every year. The Raptors <laughs> swept them in the other two. So right now we're like, like Dwayne Casey is nine and six against Nick Nurse. It's no longer, mm. it's no longer, uh, you know, a, dominant. A, a curse. It's still interesting that like nine of the 10 games, the Pistons have won the last five years have been against the Raptors. Uh, they haven't won a lot of games. It's uh it's fitting that Andrew Holland behind the glass played us in with monkey wrench, which is like uh, an all time. Hey, I'm going to redo something you didn't do to my liking. Like Dave Grohl, re-recorded the drums to that track because he right. didn't like the drumming on it. Mm-hmm. It's like Nick nurse is the assistant on Dwayne Casey's staff. And is then like, you know what? 
I'm just going to do it all myself and yeah. uh, do it uh, like a, just a little bit better and then it'll be really successful and everyone will forget you were on the track. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's anyway, rough. I don't think it's anything anymore. Like it's it's nine and six, mm-hmm. which is great for Dwayne Casey. I know he gets fired up for it. I know Raptors fans get fired up for it because they travel so well to Detroit. Yeah. There's even the added layer of rivalry that former Toronto Raptors analytics uh, analyst and assistant coach Brittany Donaldson is now on the Detroit Pistons staff. Right. Uh, huge rivalries all around. But this is going to be a bad basketball game because no one's playing in it. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, two bad basketball teams. And the Raptors are going to be in the play-in tournament. But uh, all evidence suggests that they're not that great. Uh, no Scotty Barnes, no Gary Trent Jr., no Precious Chua again tonight. Um, I don't know. Do we have, we got to keep watching Will Barton? Like, do we He's have this? starting. Okay, so at what point do you realize that, hey, Nuggets wave goodbye, hey, the Wizards wave goodbye, hey, you've seen him not be able to to hit much of anything from three, that's his job. At what point do you realize, oh, wait, yeah, no, uh, he might be done. And not the three-point stuff because... He was shooting 38% with the Wizards before they let him go, and he he has a track record of being a great shooter. But I think this is two things. One is um, you took a guy who was playing 19 minutes a game with the Wizards off the bench as like a spot-up shooter only, and you're tasking him with being kind of your backup point guard and playing a bigger role and not just being a catch-and-shoot guy, which he's not, you know, at no point in his career has he been uh, a lead ball handler really, other than like there was like a three-, four-year window in Denver where he was a kind of co-point guard it's still i still wouldn't call him a, a point guard but he averaged like three or four assists a game for for a couple of seasons so great but that was a long time ago and it was a necessity of that roster um which shouldn't be a necessity for this roster the other so he's being overexposed a little bit and, and overextended relative to what he can do at this point at 32 the other thing is is what we've talked about all year and it goes back to the yaka thing it goes back to you know it's okay to have a thad young or a or and Otto Porter or a Ken Burge, but having a whole bunch of those when you are a team that is still supposed to be on the building side of things is confusing, right? Like Jeff Dalton Jr. didn't play for a whole bunch of games because he's running out of NBA days. And no, Jeff Dalton Jr. shouldn't be the savior either, but he's at least on the upper part of the upway part of his career and his development curve. They should have just converted his two-way contract into a regular NBA contract and played him. Or they could have grabbed Saban Lee, who was with the 905 all year and is now a fixture of the Phoenix Suns, who are way better than the Raptors and who led a bench unit for Phoenix that picked the Raptors bench unit apart. Um, It's just kind of, you know, what direction are you in? And yes, they're going to be a playing team and they want to make the playoffs and things like that. But that shouldn't be at the expense of continuing to develop guys and continuing to give guys chances. I'm not, and I'm not crying for Delano Banton, who hasn't been healthy during this stretch or even or more specifically Malachi Flynn, who looked pretty good in his, his minutes off the bench in his, in the last game. Yeah, He's been solid at times and not solid at other times, but he, like, what is the upside with 32 year old Will Barton? He clicks and he helps you be slightly more right. competitive in a playoff series playing but six I, I to eight minutes. This was like, part of the discussion around the trade deadline that that Masai Ujiri wasn't all that pleased with the lack of of reps that some of the potential fixes in this rotation were getting. And, and Nick Nurse, but Nick Nurse at the same time was not has not been particularly pleased with like his options for that. So, and this is the thing: it's it's similar to the Jakob Pertl thing. It's similar to the Otto Porter Jr. thing. Where yes, you can understand these moves in isolation, and the Jakob Pertl thing is you know on purely asset value, like it's a fine trade. He, yeah. he makes the team better, and he's really good, and you're going to be able to re-sign him. 
to but direction wise, <laughs> this is a play in caliber team. And even if things started clicking and guys were healthy, like they're not going to look any better than the sixth best so team in the Eastern well Conference. Play Malachi Flynn would or, be my point, or Jeff Doughton Jr. <laughs> right. or Sabin Lee when he was there, or G League guy X. Like what are we Joe Weiss Camp hasn't been good either, and he's and, been pretty hot and cold with the nine hundred five, and he's hurt now. But like. And as we pointed out, you're not falling out of the play-in tournament, I don't think, unless you go on like a 10-game losing streak. But yeah. And and if you do do that, like then that's an even more of an argument to be playing those guys because then you're not – it's just – I don't know. I, it, it's not fair to hang it on Will Barton who came here to play 10 minutes a game in bench units and knock down threes, not be the backup point guard and part-time starter. But it's a series of – you know, it just continues what we've talked about for hit the threes, though. A also. little okay, but it's like a what? How many threes did he take? Twenty? Yeah, he's twenty-one three-pointers. Mm-hmm. If he goes three for five tonight, suddenly his three-point shooting since he came to Toronto looks great. So do that. Yeah, he should. <laughs> I agree. He should. He should go five for five then. Um, yeah, it's just it's what we've been talking about all year long when it comes to that they've had some misses at the end of the roster, and we see O'Shea Brissett play mm. well against them the other night. We see Yuta Watanabe uh, rest in peace from the Donovan yeah. Mitchell dunk, but still playing good Anthony rotation. Edwards killed him. That was his yeah. ghost that, that got killed again. Yeah, but at least he's defending at the rim, right? <laughs> Is uh, Are any of these guys getting up to defend that? I, I don't think so. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a pattern now of they've missed on a couple spots at the end of the roster. They've gone a little too vet heavy on, again, one or two roster spots, fine. But to have four roster spots at the start of a developmental season committed to older guys that might push you from, you know, like might help you win a couple extra games in the regular season, but not at all change the ultimate ceiling or timeline of this team. And, you know, it's a combination of not only missing on guys, but... Every time, every auto porter or Will Barton or whoever is a lottery ticket. You can't take on someone else to just kick the tires and see what's there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a tough year for the 905 as well. They've had a ton of roster turnover. They haven't had a lot of Raptors well, guys down the there. They're going to miss the playoffs for the first time since their inaugural season Yikes. Um, back in 2014, 2015, but, or sorry, 2015, 2016 rather. But even then, like, okay, could you have pulled one of those guys up? Could you have grabbed a Joe Wieskamp, another Joe Wieskamp type from somewhere else and pushed the nine? It's just been all the stuff at the margins that they did so, so well, 2015, 2016, 2017, in the lead up to the championship, where you could do a consolidation trade, trade away a bunch of picks, and still feel good about the depth you're developing. Those things haven't been there to the same degree. And every time there's a, a Will Barton or a Ken Birch or whatever, it just kind of hammers home that you are stuck searching for older, lower upside options, whereas in the years prior, you were finding and developing those on your own. And let's hope that they can get back to that. No team has a perfect track record or or even a good track record when it comes to second rounders and undrafted guys. And honestly, the run that they were on, you would expect a little bit of a lull. Unsustainable, absolutely. <laughs> but they went from being the best to uh, a non-factor in that regard. And, and I'd settle for middle ground. You know, finding another Chris Boucher type or or something like that who takes a little bit of patience but ends up being your your sixth or seventh best player a lot of nights. So we should pay off the tease a little bit because I mentioned Dwayne Casey, like maybe mm, his final yeah. final return to Toronto as the head coach of the Pistons. I mean, this is his uh, penultimate season under his current contract. He uh, was hired by the Pistons to not do what the Pistons have become, which is tank and like acquire young assets. They made the playoffs in his first year. 
Sorry if I don't remember the four-game sweep at the hand of the Milwaukee Bucks, but, like, yeah, where are we with, with Dwayne Casey's future in Detroit? Yeah, he did sign an extension a, a couple years ago that extends him through next season, but he's the second-oldest coach in the NBA. He's a guy who is super well-respected. I, I think everyone around the sport and around Toronto and around Detroit would speak the world of him. The Detroit Pistons having 16 wins this year has been much more of a front office and injury thing than a tactical X's and O's or rotation decisions. They, like, none of this is... Is on Dwayne Casey. Of course not. But he's the second oldest coach in the NBA and the Pistons at some point need to, especially if they do well in the lottery this year, need to start looking forward at what the next thing is. I wouldn't be surprised if this is Dwayne Casey's last game as a head coach in Toronto and he, you know, transitions maybe to a some sort of front office slash consultant slash bridge between the front office and coaching staff role as Detroit turns the page to what the next era will be. Because as great as Dwayne Casey is and, and as good a culture builder is, he's not going to be in that spot when Cade Cunningham and Wemby or whoever are ready to compete. Time now for Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. It is San Diego State and Alabama tied up at 11s in the first half and uh, Alabama five and a half point favorites. Miami, uh, seven and a half point underdogs to Houston tonight. Princeton, 10 point underdogs to Creighton. Uh, Xavier, four point underdogs to Texas. And that was Last Call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.